0: So um, welcome to uh, the Oxford Review uh, video and podcast. Um, today I'd like to welcome um, Maya Tamir and she's in uh, Israel and she's done a, a very interesting paper, you've got the briefing about it, uh, exp- how expectations influence how emotion shape behaviour can you just take a couple of minutes to introduce yourself, and kind of give the listeners a bit of a, a background to your personal journey so far, and something about your academic history and how you got to here in terms of your research interests?
1: Sure. Um, I did my uh, undergraduate degree in psychology and management uh, in Tel Aviv University a long time ago. Yeah, <laughs> and. Then I um, did my PhD at the University of Illinois in the US. Um, After that, I did a postdoc with James Gross at the University of Stanford, Ah, focusing specifically on emotion regulation. Um, I then got a job at Boston College where I was faculty member for four years. Mm -hmm. And then I moved back to Israel and joined the Hebrew University here.
0: Okay, fantastic.
1: Um, in terms of my how I got to studying emotions, I mean for me emotions was all has always been the most uh, interesting thing, not just as a psychologist but just as a as a person living in the world. Yes, and I was always amazed by how I guess how much of the of, of what's meaningful in the world somehow is connected to emotions. Um, and I wondered how this incredibly uh, powerful thing influences us, mm. what it does, how it does it. Um, I've always felt, before I actually started studying emotions, that these things are, um, you know, that they that they guide and drive us more than we sometimes want them to. Yes. Um, and exactly. so I wanted to understand the mechanisms mm. um, and, of course, now I think about emotions in a very different way. But that's how I got to, to studying emotions.
0: Yes. Interesting. Most
1: of my research actually deals with emotion regulation. Yeah. Uh, but, but I've always been incredibly curious about about emotions, the very, very key question of how it works, which brings us here.
0: Yes. Brilliant. Yeah. I, I hadn't realized that you'd actually worked with James Gross. Um, he's a, a big hero of mine, and uh, he's very yeah. prolific in the, in the area. Of- rightly so. Emotion regulation. I wish I had a citation record like his. <laughs> so he's one of a kind. He's a wonderful person. Yes, yes. I, I, I've met him once, um, uh, and he's um, he's very generous uh, with his yeah. time and his uh, and his knowledge. Okay, brilliant. Um, can you just give us a quick overview as to how you ended up doing this particular? Because um, th- this this paper is actually three studies. Um mm-hmm. how you ended up doing this series of studies and, and what kind of led to that.
1: Yeah. So um, I'm particularly interested, as I mentioned before, in emotion regulation. And I've always um, been uh, curious um, about how people, why do people want to feel certain emotions and not others? Mm. And a lot of the work that I do focuses on the idea that people may be motivated to to regulate their emotions in different ways. Sometimes we want to feel good. Sometimes we don't want to feel good. Um, And so I've been curious. um, I I wanted to understand why that is. And so I, like I think many um, emotion researchers and and most people, um, lay people who don't study emotion, always assume that emotions do certain things, that certain emotions do certain things in a fixed way, that when we're angry, we then become aggressive. And when we're afraid, we then uh, um, run away. And when we're happy, then we're more creative. And that's been my assumption, like many others. And I was curious, how come some people want to feel fear and some people don't want to feel fear? Could it be that some people are just right in knowing which emotions are good and other people are just wrong? They think that some emotion is beneficial to them, but actually it isn't. So so then I realized from my research that emotions uh, that that some people want to feel emotions and some people don't want to feel these emotions, and that people seem to benefit from emotions in different ways. Um, and so I wanted to know, Could it be that what emotions do uh, is not necessarily fixed? Now, I know because I studied emotion regulation that some people expect emotions to help them and some people may expect the same emotion to harm them. So some people expect anger to be useful to them in a certain situation and some people think that anger will be harmful for them. And so I wanted to know, well, let's see if they're right. Um, And what I found when I just looked at the effects of emotions is that these effects are not very, um, uh, not very um, uh, stable, mm-hmm. that they vary and they're not fixed. And so I thought, what if just like placebo, um, what we believe that emotions do for us actually ends up shaping what emotions do for us. And so it's not the case that people are right or wrong about what emotions really do. Yeah. It's that what emotions really do kind of depends on what we expect them to do. And so that's how I got to the series of, of studies.
0: Yeah, that's a fascinating kind of um, s- set of thinking, I suppose, to 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 kind of get there. And uh, what one of the things that interests me in what you were just saying is about this idea of um, kind of going back a bit, just people actually wanting not to feel good. And that's mm-hmm. kind of a surprise to a lot of people because people kind of make this assumption that everybody wants to feel good. But... Actually, because one of the things that you talk about in the paper is about um, expectancy and, and goal-seeking behavior. And mm-hmm. and can you just talk us through that, you know, why would somebody want to not feel good, for example?
1: Sure. So when you asked me how I got to studying um, emotions, I, I um, began by saying that emotions always attracted me as something... Um, fascinating because they seem to influence us in a variety of ways mm. and um, in addition to making us feel good or feel bad they also seem to drive us to different types of behaviors or different mode of thinking or even they seem to shape how we interact with other people in very meaningful ways yeah. and so um, one of a a key assumption in emotion research is that emotions are generally not always of course but they're generally functional in the sense that they can lead to outcomes that are useful and this is true for both pleasant and unpleasant emotions there's a reason potentially for us having emotions like anger and fear because these emotions can serve us uh, in very specific ways when we need them to Right. So conceptually, anger can help us actually um, right a wrong uh, by propelling us to stand up for ourselves and fear help us escape danger. And so theoretically, both pleasant and unpleasant emotions can be useful uh, in certain situations. Now, the question, of course, is do we take utility into account when we engage in self-regulation? And of course, if we put emotion aside and I asked you the same question, you would say, of course we do. I mean, that's the very key of self-regulation, right? We we sit and study for exams, even though it's not fun because we care about the grade and what happens with our profession, right? We we sit and, and uh, um, write uh, reviews or, or sit on projects at work, even late into the night, even if they're not fun and prepare reports because it's gonna be beneficial in the end, right? We go to the dentist, even though it's not fun, because we expect a benefit. And yeah. so the key um, component of self-regulation is I'm willing not to feel pleasant right now in order to maximize utility. Yeah. And so all I all I did is say, well, why isn't this true for emotions as well, right? Could it be that there are some cases where we want to feel an unpleasant emotion now, because it's useful. Now, if you ask me, but how could poss- how could negative emotions possibly be useful? Well, think about a situation that people in organizations encounter very frequently: when we need to negotiate, when we need to negotiate a deal, or when we need to negotiate a raise with our boss. Um, do we want to feel very very calm and pleasant, or do we want to say, "Hey, there's something here that is rightfully mine," and I need to fight for it. Now, what kind of mental state would be useful for you when you need to fight for something? Well, I think the answer, by the way, is whatever you think is the right state of mind, but that's a, that's a slightly different yes. question. But you can see how anger, when you need to fight for something, uh, could be something that you may be motivated to feel. Uh, and there are similar um, situations where sadness or fear could be useful, and we may be motivated to feel them, in order to gain some uh, uh, temporary benefit.
0: Yeah, and certainly from some of the work that I've been doing, uh, kind of some of the maladaptive um, kind of behaviors that we see in people, um, where people are driving themselves into um, not just fearful states, but depressive type states in order for some form of, as you say, some kind of utility. They see a payoff. so um, one, of the, the, uh, w- w- one of my big heroes in, in terms of um, therapy, for example, is, uh, I don't know whether you've come across, Frank Ferrelli. He, he mm-hmm. does, um, he's, he's very interesting. One, one of the things that he was talking about was, um, so he's seeing patients um, in terms of uh, emotion regulation, and he said he was watching some of his patients arrive, and they seemed quite fine uh, walking across the car lot, uh, getting into the building, going up to his room, waiting in the in the anteroom. And it wasn't until they walked into the room, suddenly they started to emote. And um, he started to realise that it was having a, a utility. They wanted him to believe something in order, and therefore they started to feel that emotion and, and portray it. Whereas in other sets of circumstances, in other situations, they, they wouldn't portray it because it, it wasn't serving some kind of utility and it kind of feels a bit weird to say that sometimes we kind of put on sadness or something for that kind of utility but I, I you know. So
1: we have a beautiful paper uh, um, and now additional work that's going to come out um, showing that depressed people want to feel more sad than non-depressed people and um, that's, you know, in our conversation, it's something that you and I um, find quite intuitive. Uh, but most people are not only they, they don't find this intuitive for people who are not depressed, but they find it especially surprising when you think about depressed people, right? Because if there's anyone in the world who should not want to feel sad, it's people who are clinically depressed. Um, but if you give people who are clinically depressed the opportunity to regulate their emotions in whichever direction they choose. And you teach them the most effective strategy and they understand how to use it. What we find in the laboratory, and actually outside the laboratory now too, they use these tools that you give them to increase or maintain their sadness rather than to decrease it. Um, And they they choose actively not to increase their happiness. And I think that the reason is that there's, when you see yourself as a sad person, there's some utility in, um, hanging on to that identity that you've developed, um, that is, I'm a sad person. And all of a sudden, when I feel happy, you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, wait a minute, this is not me. This is something else, right? So, so we have, um, uh, an entire line of, of clinical work showing that people are motivated to feel various emotions. And some of this motivation is driven by who they, how they see themselves uh, as as sad or as happy or even as angry people. Um, so there's, there are all kinds of um, benefits that we can gain from our emotions. And we are motivated to feel emotions that optimize these benefits, whether they are um, um, behavioral benefits, so emotions can influence our behavior, whether they are epistemic benefits, who am I and who what is this world about? Uh, and whether there are social benefits, how is this emotion gonna influence the person in front of me and how is this gonna influence the relationship? And this leads people to seek emotions that are either pleasant or unpleasant. Now, the question though is, right, are people right or are people wrong? Um, and this is when we get to the to the next set of studies that you want us to chat about. Mm.
0: Um, yeah. can, can you just explain what you mean, are people right or are people wrong? What do you mean by that?
1: So so the question is, can we, can we say, well, depressed people who choose to be sad simply don't understand that sadness has no benefits. Hmm. Um, and we can choose that approach, right? Do we say people who expect, um, um, sadness to make them more creative are simply wrong. Uh, Because we know we know that that happiness makes people and excitement makes people creative Um, Do we say people who expect anger? To make them less aggressive are simply wrong because we know what anger does anger leads to aggression And so if we wanna if we wanna try to improve emotion regulation, right or optimize the way that people use their emotions in daily life whether in the workplace or outside the workplace we need to teach people what emotions actually do. Yeah, And then they will be motivated to seek emotions that really help them, and they'll do better. Yes. And so this is a really, really fundamental question about, well, what is the nature of emotions? What emotions actually do? Hmm.
0: Um, yeah. yeah, that's really interesting, because one of the things that I got interested in a few years ago was um, psychological payoff. So what what individuals expect the payoff to be starts to drive the emotion or or they start to change the emotion in the direction of the payoff. So if they think they're going to get sympathy and some help and that's what they're looking for, their goal is that, then they'll go into that set of behaviours and that set of behaviours can actually start to bring on things like depression and or whatever it happens to be, or they get stuck in that set of emotion, the connections between the emotions and the behaviour as a kind of a habit. And then that becomes... Um, Actually, clinically, quite quite a problem because that habit gets stronger and stronger and harder to break um, as, as time goes on. Yeah, that's really interesting. So, can we just go back to the study, the paper that uh, actually we're talking about about how expectations um, influence uh, and shape behaviour? Can you just talk us through the three studies very quickly um, and and what you actually what you actually did, Maya?
1: So, our key question was. Um, could it be that emotions don't have a one-to-one connection with behavior, but rather that the way that emotions influence behavior is much more complex than that? And that people um, learn from experience how emotions typically shape behavior right, in daily life. And they develop these expectations about how emotions are likely to influence behavior and then once they have an expectation and by the way this expectation could come from a variety of sources like our culture for example once they have that expectation like many other expectations that influence many other outcomes this expectation then influences how their emotional experiences actually shape their behavior and i mentioned before the placebo effect and so the idea is that Emotions could be a little bit like placebo. When we expect them to work in a certain way, they do end up working in a certain way. And so what we did in this series of studies is test this empirically. Now, how do you test a question like this? Well, if you wanna know whether expectations influence the way that emotions shape behavior, you need to, first of all, um, manipulate expectations about what certain emotions are likely to do. You have to manipulate emotional states to see whether there's a causal effect of emotions on behavior. And then you have to measure behavior in an objective way. Um, So otherwise, you know, any type of whatever people say about their behavior could just be a way of rationalizing or or explaining uh, an association that isn't really there. So what we did in the study is we tried to think about um, contexts in which we assume emotions to, be, to influence behavior in a certain way. Contexts in which we know we can assess behavior objectively. And then we manipulated emotions, we manipulated beliefs, um, and we measured the influence of emotions on subsequent behaviors. So I can give you one example of, of one of these three studies. Um, we, all, we all know, obviously, um, that anger leads to aggression, right? And not only do we all know this, Um, as a culture. Um, Not only do we all share this cultural assumption, but I myself ran a study where the entire study was based on this very idea. And Because I wanted to show in in a a study a long time ago that people want to be angry when they think that anger is going to be beneficial to them. So I said, well, Let's have people play a computer game. And unfortunately for all of us, I think personally, there are a lot of very, very aggressive games out there where the goal in the game is to kill as many um, uh, um, players in the game, right, virtual players in the game as you possibly can and you get points for each person that you kill. And you walk around with a gun, it's called the first person shooter. I discovered that for the purpose of this study, anyway. <laughs> Right? So you walk around, Amazing. you can see how yeah. narrow my world is, you, you, you walk around with, with guns yeah, I mean, and, you, and, and you kill people to get points. Right, yeah. And so I thought, well, this is a wonderful platform to test ideas about what anger does. And we actually got people angry in the lab. We had them listen to heavy metal. And there's a great reason why we had we made people angry
0: by listening to
1: angry music. <laughs> Um, we did that because we wanted to make sure that we're not telling them anything about anger, right? We're not using words because words are ideas. And so if we, if we change ideas, we change how people think, but not necessarily how people feel. So we used music that's entirely, um, um, uh, um, instrumental and we got them kind of irritated. Uh, and we know this because they told us that that's how they felt, yeah. And then we had them play the, the first person shooter and we saw that people who were angrier actually did kill more people. Um, I don't know. So, yeah, in the game. So I said, well, <coughs> why did we kill more people in the game, right? It could be that it is really because anger makes people more aggressive or because all these people, as I actually know, because I asked them, they expected anger to kill more people. So in this study, in the paper that we're talking about, I took the very same task um, and, um, people were told that they're going to play, um, uh, a game. And, um, then we told them, you know, we, we gave them bogus in- to manipulate their expectations. We gave them bogus information from presumably, uh, prior participants in the game. And so they got a little input saying, you know, to do well on this game, uh, you have to be really focused <laughs> which makes a lot of sense and is entirely unrelated to emotions. Mm-hmm. But some of these little inputs said something like, um, I arrived at this game and I was really irritated because of something that happened on the way to the lab. And then I did really well on the task. Right? Mm-hmm. So we gently, right? we, we insert the idea mm-hmm. that anger could be beneficial. And this is basically what we did to make them potentially expect anger to be useful in that task. Um, Then some people, so some people were told this thing and some people were told that either anger is is unrelated or that anger um, uh, can be harmful. And then we um, induced anger in some people by having them listen to the uh, um, uh, angry uh, music. Um, and other people listened to neutral music that did not get them angry. And then we had them play the game where there it's, it's a first person shooter. Fantastic. You get a, a, a virtual gun and you have to kill everybody around you. And we counted the number of people that were killed. Ah, yeah. So, um, many people who study emotion would say anger leads to aggression and therefore Whether you believe anger, is, whether you expect anger to help you, whether you don't expect anger to help you, that shouldn't make any difference whatsoever on what anger actually does. Mm -hmm. People who are angry should be more violent than people who are not. But that's not what we found. Um, What we found is that the impact of anger on aggression was dependent on what people expected anger to do. People who expected anger to help them killed more people than people who did not expect anger to help them.
0: Yeah, brilliant. Actually, they so interesting because <laughs> it's funny. I kind of did a reverse study of this way back in the 90s where we took people and gave them two different, went, uh, two different populations on two different types of video game. One was a shooting video game, which was an aggressive video game, and one was actually um, what they were doing was um, rafting down a river same controls, but completely different games. And then what we did was we measured the level of aggression afterwards to see whether aggressive video games do promote aggressive thinking and behaviour afterwards. And it fairly conclusively, it does. Um, <laughs> just just doing that, those kinds of activities creates, at least for a short while, um, the, 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 and I suppose it depends on how often you're doing it. But that's really interesting. It's a great way of doing it. So what can practitioners take away from this in organizations that that can help them at a kind of an organizational level or for their own personal behavior in terms of kind of regulating their own emotions or understanding what's going on in organizations, Maya?
1: Well, I think perhaps the most important thing to take away from this is to understand that emotions are not these fixed machines, right, that operate in the same predictable way. Um, They're very flexible, and they're very malleable, and they're very dynamic. And they're likely to influence people in the way that that people expect them to. And so... If you want people to optimize or maximize whatever benefit they gain from their emotions, then maybe one way to do it is instead of working really hard to change emotions, which is wonderful and important, and I think both you and I share our passion uh, for emotion regulation, it's also incredibly hard to do. So what we can do is we can try to change what people think about their emotions and when people, what people expect from their emotions. Um, and that is something that, that is something that, um, can help, um, managers and employers and employees use their emotion better if they can try to cultivate beliefs about emotions that are more reasonable. Yeah. Um, and you know, we all have beliefs about emotions that are, um, uh, kind of, uh, potentially, uh, dangerous Uh, we all believe that happiness is is amazing and wonderful and the best thing ever in the world and Especially, you know in some countries especially in the Western world and we've developed such a uh, uh, such a strong belief about about the the uh, Importance and utility of happiness that we start to blame ourselves if we don't feel happy and so people feel bad that, they're, that they feel only a little happy and not extremely happy. <laughs> um, and so that's another example of how our beliefs about emotions may be as important as our emotions themselves. Yes. And so changing these beliefs in a way that is useful uh, both you know, instrumentally, but also psychologically, um, I think is, 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 a, is an important point to take from this research.
0: Yes. Yeah. So. And this whole idea that actually beliefs drive an awful lot of the outcomes that we have, behavioral outcomes, through our emotions <coughs> is quite critical for people in organizations and not assuming that an emotion will necessarily lead to a particular outcome. <coughs> you are okay? Have you got some water there? <laughs>
1: I'm just choking. Oh today. No, no, we can't. <laughs>
0: Don't joke. We need you. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's I think that's really important for people to understand in organizations.
1: <clears throat> I actually think that, that there's another aspect in organizations that's especially important um, in this um, respect because organizations are also oftentimes, not always, but often um, a, a multicultural setting where people from all kinds of backgrounds come together um, for to, to, to do something together. And it's important to understand that different people can have a different set of beliefs. Um, people who come from different cultures or different backgrounds or people from different ages or different gender um, can bring different beliefs to the table and these beliefs could change how their emotions impact them. Some people in some cultures think that worry is terrible. Um, Other people think that worry is is wonderful. And so different people may work better if they're worried or not. Um, And so the more sensitive we are to each other uh, and to the set of beliefs that we bring to the table, the more we can help people find those emotional states that would optimize their Performance
0: and their behaviour in the organisation. Yeah, I think that's that's really important. The um, and this is completely anecdotal. It wasn't part of a study I was doing. It was something that I was kind of just engaged in. I met a guy in Kabul who was probably one of the happiest people I've ever met. um, Even though he had no legs, both legs had been blown off in a a mine explosion, and um, and I was talking to him. I was trying to work out. You know what his mind frame, what you know, what his mindset was, and how he was thinking about things. And as far as he was concerned, Allah had spared him, and therefore there was a reason for this, and he had to go and ha- uh, live the best life that he could. And on the other hand, a week later I was dealing with somebody who was um, deal, um, had post-traumatic stress disorder, who had actually been injured, um not the same injuries, not quite as uh, widespread. Um, but the beliefs had actually driven that person down a different line um, of, of behaviours and, uh, and sets of emotions that then cascaded into a, a, a very difficult place for the individual. And this, this idea that actually we can start to control things <coughs> uh, and regulate our emotions through our beliefs become quite an important part of kind of organisational life, but everyday life. And that actually people have got a lot more control than they think they have.
1: Yeah, so I think there are two points to be made that are not exactly the same, right? One is that we can use our beliefs about emotions to regulate our emotions. Um, And I certainly agree with that. Um, um, If we think about emotions, for example, as something that's fixed and that's beyond our control, we're probably gonna be less effective in regulating our emotions, even if it's the same emotion and at the same intensity than if we believe that emotions are malleable and we can change them. So that's just one example of how beliefs can influence how we regulate our emotions. But the other point, um, perhaps a corresponding point, is that our beliefs shape not only how we regulate our emotions, but also how emotions themselves operate. Um, emotions don't operate in fixed ways, their outcomes depend on our conception of the world. And so if we understand that, then we could be less afraid of emotions that we typically consider to be negative, right? We can look at two angry people and say, this person, now that I understand their belief uh, is likely to, you know, destroy this negotiation when they're angry, okay. and that person. Now that I understand her belief, uh, could actually, um, you know, get the 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 uh, best deal possible when she's angry, and I can understand this diversity and I can encourage it without being overly critical, because I understand the beliefs that underlie the the um, the, the connection between emotions and behavior in these different people.
0: That's fantastic. That's really good. And can I just ask you, So, what are you working on at the moment that you're quite happy to talk about and the kinds of direction that you're going now? <laughs> but just the things um, that you're happy to talk about, I understand. That's
1: the hardest question because there are always so many potential answers that like pick and choose is really hard. Um, but one, so... Um, there are many questions that I'm, that I'm curious about. One thing that I'm, uh, that I'm very curious about, um, has to do with how people learn, uh, what emotions can do. Um, even if emotions can do very different things for very different people, somehow, you know, we don't walk around in the world, um, as, um, uh, we, we did in our little uh, paper that, that you talked about where, where we get, these expectations uh, inserted into our heads by by uh, devious experimenters right in the world we somehow we somehow develop these expectations, um, and I am very curious in understanding how they 're developed. Um, so some of the and what we 're trying to do uh, in my laboratory is um, examine this. Uh, question from multiple perspectives simultaneously so one way is to look at very very basic learning mechanisms to see whether people develop these expectations from their own direct experience right if i am angry and i get positive feedback and then i'm angry again and i get positive feedback i then cultivate the expectation that when i'm angry good things happen right so that would be one possibility another possibility is by pure observation, right? If I look at other people around me in my closed circle and I see that whenever my uh, best friend is angry, they then get their work done, then I may develop this expectancy that anger should help people get their work done. Um, or, Or maybe, you know, there are not necessarily experimenters, but there are other ways of inserting ideas into our heads. You know, we open the television or we look at YouTube, and we get these examples, or even even quite explicit ideas about what emotions do or don't do. Uh, Right? There's all kinds of movies. You take your kids to a a Disney movie, and in the Disney movie, it says, you know, there's a blue person in your head, and when, or or a red person in your head, and when that person blows up, all hell breaks loose. Okay, so now you've learned that anger does, you know, leads to, to to aggression. So I'm interested in learning and understanding how we cultivate these beliefs, uh, partly because that will help us understand where these beliefs come from and how we differ from one another and why. And also if we understand the mechanism, then we can see where it goes wrong. Yes. Because there are beliefs that are very maladaptive. There are people who um, have developed these beliefs that you know, sadness is somehow beneficial, not pleasant, but beneficial, or that fear is beneficial or worry. Mm. And so they hold on to their worry, yeah. um, and they don't let go. Mm. Because they think that if they worry enough, they will prevent the next disaster from happening to yes. them. And so they become... Uh, you know, they they, they they are those people with general anxiety disorder.
0: That's really fascinating, and this—this this whole idea of kind of moving into expectations and where they come from, and um, I'm expecting, and certainly s- some of the research that I've seen is kind of a myriad places that ex- expectations kind of end up being embedded in our in our consciousness, mm-hmm. um, and also unconsciousness, I suppose. Um, that's that's really interesting, and I look forward to those papers. Um, <laughs> Thank so, you. Um, And I know you've got to go in a minute, so um, I'll I'll cut it here. And Thank you very much for spending the time with us. I do appreciate it. And uh, it's a fascinating series of of research, and I'd I'd like to kind of keep in touch. Um, We seem to be operating in very similar kind of areas.
1: Thank you so much, and thanks for your interest in our work. That's wonderful. Thanks.
0: Yeah, it's really great. Thank you very much, Maya. You take care, and enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Take care. Bye.